0: that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Happy Sunday and welcome to the Family Recovery Project podcast. I'm Jacqueline Sazzi here as always with Frank Salaya. Hi, Frank.
1: Hi, Jacqueline. How are you?
0: I am well. It's a beautiful, sunny, actually Saturday afternoon. We're recording this beforehand because once again, I have to work tomorrow night. So we will not be able to be live. Um, So we are basically doing part two of our expectations discussion that we started last week. And if you haven't listened to it, you should go back and listen to it because it was really good. But um, just a quick recap. We started talking about some of the the cliches around expectations that a lot of families hear when they go into treatment, like, um, you know, expectations are premeditated resentments and, um, and really that it's completely normal for parents to have expectations. And Frank, um, kind of, he, he gave it a little bit of a different spin. And he talked about how really what he had were hopes and dreams Mm -hmm. for his child and, that that's what, you know, really is disrupted when you first go into a situation like that, when you get confirmation that your child is using drugs and alcohol and you realize for the first time that the things that you hope and dream for them are not, well, may not come true and how that is handled once you get into a counselor or therapist's office and how a lot of times, um, Uh it's just really not given kind of the gravity that it deserves for parents because they're not, they're not really given any more information than you just shouldn't have expectations really. Um, so, and that's a little bit of where we left off, right, Frank?
1: Yeah, we were kind of starting to scratch that surface in terms of how I think parents are affected, uh, in our position and how we compare our expectations based on, you know, what society might expect of us. So we have all these expectations of what others have of us at the same time that we have our own. Uh, we talked a little bit about negotiating, you know, with our addict uh, based on what their expectations are. Uh, treatment has theirs. Uh, and so it, it does get to be complex. And I think we, we were kind of narrowing down to were some actionable thoughts and some processes for parents to be able to, and and loved ones and family siblings uh, to be able to move forward uh, so that you don't get stuck. Um, because it, it was, I, I got stuck a, a number of different times on my journey. So I just think that it's good to just be always working on what our definition of that is. Uh, and it's a, it's a big word expectations with respect to treatment and addiction uh, and, and how it affects everybody's lives. Uh-huh. So yeah, I think you summed it up well.
0: Cool so where do you I know you have some ideas of where you want to go from here, so I will turn it over to you.
1: okay I, I think that the the one thing that I probably didn't drill down to uh, you know in a really substantive sense with respect to just the uh, basic tenets in the way that we process this information is is that we have a tendency as a parent to put expectations into either a positive or a negative category mm-hmm. and when you when we allow ourselves to kind of get into that a b proposition role as it were, I mean if it you know you're going to expect one or the other and either way you're going to probably have some sense of disappointment and I think that the disappointment part of it is where. Uh, treatment people and people that write some of these books that are out there right now uh, have us you know we we, we actually become afraid uh, to you know to try to change things for not only ourselves but for our addict uh, you know in our relationship uh, so I think the, the the one thing that really held me back a lot was when I would ever when I would have and start to process an expectation for my son. I always kind of wanted to put it either on the left hand side of the page or the right hand side of the page mm-hmm. and in point of fact, it didn't have to be either. It just had to be something that was that I was thinking about in a healthy way. Um, and And healthy has a lot of different definitions for uh, you know different people at different times. Uh, I think the kind of healthy that I'm talking about are things that are gonna keep you together and keep your family together and keep moving forward. And then allowing your addict to take their journey uh, to uh, recovery, uh, so that you're not getting either in their way or getting in your way either. And I've been to parent group meetings where I have to—I have, just basically asked parents. I said, you know, when are you going to get ready to get out of the way? And by that I mean to tell them that they have to kind of allow themselves to get out of the way of not only their their child's recovery but out of their own way and holding themselves back because their expectations are not very realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's the type of actionable process. And we were talking earlier about uh, how difficult it is at times as we're growing up, uh, you know, there's a, there's a real key point in developmental theory where uh, we all have to go through the process of thinking about what we're thinking about. And when addiction comes into our home and the betrayal and the lies and just the the constant emotional drama that we're in, it makes it really difficult to stay even, you know, with your thoughts and and be able to, what am I thinking today? Well, I don't want to think about it today. Uh And so we check out, um, you know, so I think I I was telling you, I mean, for me, it was easiest initially to just kind of give it up and say, my expectations are just that my son stay alive. Right. Um, that I can continue to make decisions that are not going to bankrupt my family. I mean, they were, they were kind of scary thoughts to have, um, you know, keep the family together. Uh, and I then shifted my expectations to allow the experts to then handle my expectations for me. And I know that with a little bit more time under my belt, that, it probably wasn't the best decision that I could have made because I really wasn't very participative and more than anything, it gave me the opportunity to blame treatment professionals and and other people that were involved in the industry uh, to blame them as as well for my son's choices Mm -hmm. and for my sense of unhappiness and my, my helplessness or hopelessness. Uh, So uh, again, expectations are so difficult to manage within that context that um, I was mentioning earlier to you, I mean, I, I mean, I really used to not have any expectations when I would first walk into a meeting to discuss where uh, my son was at, you know, week to week. Um, I went from that to having expectations that were completely unrealistic, but they had a lot to do with time. The more time that went by, the more impatient I became and the more it cost me. Mm-hmm. So those were mine though they had nothing to do with my son and they had nothing to do with the work that you were doing on a day-to-day basis with with him either but was i honest enough to be able to articulate that in a way to make it positive no i would just swallow it take it home and go you know they're just going to you know i mean he's 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 safe he's okay i'm just going to swallow it right now and i'm just going to lower my expectations and then i would then i would get angry with myself mhm um so it, it, it's a very confusing metacognition process that we go through in thinking about what we're thinking. And I remember when I was working with you and and, and my son, I would maybe try to ask questions without asking them about like, well, what should I do? You know, help yeah. help me to figure out where my expectations are at. And I know that it's not clear all the time. We have a tendency to maybe try to codify it a little bit, maybe not expose ourselves and say, Jacqueline, I really don't know what to think right now. Um, Because it really, we we really want to be strong and we want to be a good example. Um, But our futures for our children have basically been modified to the point where we really don't have that in us anymore. And I think it's perfectly natural. As long as you stay on your quest to find it again, you know, things will work out in the end. So that's kind of where I want to start, I guess. I know it's a mouthful, and I'm sorry for running on, but it's okay. It's what I wanted to share first.
0: No, I think it's a great place to start. And, I mean, it really got me thinking about um, kind of the treatment professional's job and all of that, I think is because it is such a complex... Situation, right? Because you know, you have parents walking in who are scared and confused and probably not all the way dialed in on what's actually going on with their kid and embarrassed and ashamed. Like, there's all this stuff that comes along with, you know, walking into a treatment center or a therapist office, you know, for the first time with your kid in this situation, because, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, you tell me how you felt, but I I think what I noticed more than anything in those first appointments was parents hoping what I would tell them was, oh, it's not that bad. It's not, it's really not as bad as you think, you know, um, And, and that's tough to contend with, you know, sitting in, sitting opposite from parents when I've just spent, you know, a few hours with their kid and I know how bad it is. Even if it's not that bad, it's never as not bad as the parent wants it to be, if that makes any sense, you know? Um, so it, it, it is kind of a, I mean, it's a big deal and I think it's important And I think I talked about this a little bit last week, you know, to try to find that balance between, you know, not completely devastating parents and just saying, well, there's no hope, you know, and, and the, and knowing the reality is like, your kid may not get better, you know, like it really does come down to their choices, ultimately, you know, we could give them, we could throw everything we have at them and they could still choose, to continue using drugs and alcohol. They, you know, they could, I mean, you know, you and I both know people who have overdosed and died, you know, um, sometimes early on and sometimes years and years later. And there's just no way to be able to give a parent, uh, you know any guarantee of what the outcome is going to be and i think that really is kind of the first hurdle you have to get over is um you know they really just understandably so want someone to tell them exactly like having had all of those expectations shattered they're in a position of wanting someone to say this is what you can expect now right you know and that's yeah. just i mean that's impossible it's absolutely impossible i mean to an extent there's the structure. I mean, I, you know, I could always explain, this is what treatment will look like. And these are the things I will be talking to your child about. And here are some things you can do. Um, but as far as the outcome and as far as what the future looks like, I mean, it's, you know, all of a sudden it's real open, (laughs) you know, and, and very unsure and which to an extent, I think, it always is, and I think if we get, you know, lull ourselves into any sense of, um, you know, belief about our future and exactly what it's going to look like, I think that's always dangerous because, I mean, nobody can know. Even people who don't have an addict in their life, I mean, you just never know what can happen, but I think in this situation – it's important for treatment professionals to be very sensitive to that, I guess. And spend some time talking about, you know, it's okay that you want something better for your child. And, and I personally, I don't think parents should give that up. You know, I don't think that they should be forced to let that go quote unquote or, um, you know, not expect anything from their child, but, you know, to stay sober. I mean, I I think, uh, you know, because one of the places I worked, for sure, one of the things we told parents a lot of times was, you know, not to expect anything from them, except staying sober, which I, I understand the logic behind that on paper. But in practice, I don't think it did anybody any good. Right. You know, and I don't think that that's, I don't think that's doing the young person right. And I don't think that that's fair to their family. Um, So, so yeah, I I just think that there's a lot of, um, and, and so what I was thinking about when you were talking is I think that's why a lot of times these cliches do just get thrown out and, you know, a family's expectations of their child is not really delved into that deeply by treatment professionals because That could be a really long conversation. That's a really hard conversation to have. However, I don't think that's an excuse, you know, and I think it's a conversation that can be had over more than one appointment (laughs) and more than one discussion. Um, You know, I think it can happen in stages. So, you know, parents aren't biting off more than they can chew and and they've got some digestible – ideas that they can go home with and really kind of process and marinate on and and decide where they stand instead of it either being let's have this long deep conversation about your expectations now or let's not talk about it at all <laughs> you know let's just right. i'm just going to tell you it's a bad idea to have expectations and scare you with because it could breed resentment, you know, which I don't know why everybody's so scared of resentment. I mean, resentment is a normal human emotion and everybody has it from time to time and it's just not the end of the world and sometimes it can be a pretty powerful motivator for people to to change. So um you know, I think I think that there definitely needs to be kind of a middle ground and um Whether it's if it's with, you know, an outside therapist, um, aside from the one their child is working with, or, you know, a priest or a minister or, you know, some it's anyone that a family feels that they can confide in and that has their best interests at heart and will help them process through things, I think it's definitely something that needs to be on the forefront throughout the treatment process because I, I think that expectations can be really healthy for a family right so
1: and, and I, th- I think we get caught in the middle of our own lives in a way uh, not to make that sound nonsensical but uh, as as we've talked before and I keep I hate to keep saying that but we, we, we just recently talked about the different treatment models that are available and you know, on the one side, when when you, I mean, clearly 90, 95% of all treatment right now still has some 12-step component involved with it, uh-huh. and we have this big push today moving towards the disease model, and both of them are difficult for a parent and family to find their place in because either our child or our sibling has a character flaw that only a higher power can, you know, uh, create some sense of redemption and recovery or we swing the pendulum to the other side and we think that it's a disease that's not curable right and it's like i understand how you're telling me not to have any expectations based on the the polarity of your methodology but we still want to have a life Uh we still want to be able to uh and you mentioned it in, in uh just a few minutes ago when you were talking about the future Because when we think of our kids, we we, we're obviously thinking about the present, preparing them for their future, so that they have a life that's better than ours, or uh, maybe happier, uh, and whatever we're processing as a parent based on our own life experience. Uh, But we're we're caught in the middle of like two these two models that really don't give you any hope for the future, except to give up control over your life and turn it over to somebody out there that's going to help you manage that for you. But, you know, the minute that we stop paying, Jacqueline, uh, is not very long after that that we stop getting support from from whatever we have been learning to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like putting money into a parking meter. Right. Um, you know, I mean, if you don't put another quarter in and, and the cop comes by, you're going to get a ticket. Um, you know, so it's almost like I you know for, from my perspective anyway, it was almost like it was just just keep putting just keep feeding the meter, you know, and we'll we'll continue to think up things to help you figure out where it is you need to go. Uh, but it was always for me, and I've said this before is I just always felt like I was always getting an adaptation of something that was happening in the treatment room with my son as opposed to the lives that we were living in the other room as family. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like, well, I, you know, I get the fact that my son's expectations shouldn't have included my feelings about it, but they're obviously part of what he's going to come back to um, when it comes to long term recovery. Mm-hmm. So how do we kill it for a while and not offer that sense of where they want to fit in again later? Because we take that long term uh, recovery and to back into our living rooms and in our homes, even if they're not living with us. Um, and so it it, it it really does become really confusing about it. it sometimes it is, it is much easier just to give up and it's easy to accept that premise that look, if I don't have any expectations, whatever happens is going to be um, good or bad is going to be what was meant to be. Mm-hmm. But it really does take away our ability to be able to work at an outcome and work at results because, you know, and I, and I think that when we lose that, our kids know it, you know, when we lose interest in our child's recovery, it affects their recovery, right? You know, I mean, you know, they talk about parent being an anti-drug, um, and the promotion and the constant, you know, how, if we start talking to our kids when they're six years old and on and on, and they're not going to do this. And. You know, we know that teenagers that drink are going to be more likely to drink when they're 25 than somebody that starts drinking when they're 21. You know, those all of those data points and all of this quote unquote scientific or empirical evidence that's out there um, doesn't fit with our lives when we're in the fight for what we consider to be uh, a fight to save our child's life because that's initially our feeling and expectations are, are, are dealing with that because I think that we um, and and I've, ta- I've talked to you and, and, and I and I had problems with this and myself too is trying to fix the double standard that I put in place that gave my son different sets of rules than the rest of my other kids because right. once I once I got into that I was hit with other expectations from my other kids that I thought were unrealistic because they didn't understand that their brother was an addict. Right. And so I stole their expectations from them too. I made, I made them kind of fit in. Uh, But when you hear, you know, another son tell you, well, I just should, I just should have started using drugs too. uh, It's kind of a slap in the the, the, in, in, in a reality sense about what you're doing. Uh, so, you know, in that context, it's like, well, what, what was I doing wrong for to get the surprise of my life to know that my son was going to become an addict, which you don't expect. And then you then continue to get hit with these surprises where uh, our, our kids have a tendency, if you give them the opportunity to be honest with you, uh, I'm, I'm talking with respect to siblings. I think they can be a tremendous a part and a, and a tremendous benefit to helping to keep your family moving forward and having realistic expectations because they're going to have a tendency to tell you the truth about what's going on in their life. Yep. And I ignored it. You know, I would just kind of like, no, you just, you, you, you're not going to parent meetings with me. And so you don't get it yet. You'll, you'll understand later. Um, when in actuality I was affecting their young life too, in a very negative way. Yeah. Uh, cause I was asking them to give up things of themselves that I shouldn't, I didn't have a right to do that. But again, that was based on my expectation of everybody having the same expectation that our, my son, our brother was going to choose abstinence and choose no drugs and no drinking. Um, but it was more destructive than anything else. So, I think that parents have to understand that if you get yourself in that situation, you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to try to fix it. Mm -hmm. And fix is maybe not the wrong word, but you're going to have to make amends um, in in some way to get your family back together again. And for me, it was just basically having to apologize Yeah, and, and meaning it and then doing away with that double standard. So that even in long-term recovery, when my son would come home and go, well, I'm used to having the other rules, you got to be able to say there, there are no other rules anymore. <laughs> um, we're a family and this is how our family works. This is how we stay together. Um, as parents, this is what we've agreed to, is what we're going to accept, what we're not going to accept and stay there. Um, you know, because to do anything else sets up a false set of expectations for the rest of your family. And it's very, very destructive. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I know that that we talk about that more. So maybe because of my upbringing or whatever. But I did I did get to the point at about three three and a half years in where I could see the hopelessness in their eyes too. Uh, it was like they were reflecting back things to me where they were getting resentful of me only thinking about addiction. Right. The only the only thing I ever wanted to talk about which is why we're talking about it today, um, to allow families to move forward and take the positive out of life and learn to live with the negative. Yeah. Much easier said than done, but I mean, I think that's kind of where our central core is, is, you know, not wanting to, we're not wanting to think for anybody. You know, I don't think we're really wanting to say, okay, well, look, this is what you, if you do this, and you follow these eight steps and you do them in the next three months that everything is going to be just perfect for you. Right. Um, th- that is just so unrealistic. Um, I was really resentful about outcomes for families where their kid would go in and within six months they could turn their life around, get back in school, uh, pick up their life and move forward because my son took six years. Right. I mean, how unrealistic of an expectation is that to compare my life to somebody else's and have resentments against other people that were just doing what they had to do to turn their life around? Yeah. So there's a lot of different components, as you know, uh, or people that and families that would choose not to change and not to do the work. And you don't have to see them. And we both still have friends that are like that, where we don't have to see them for two or three years. And within the first five minutes, we know if they've done any work at all on their lives. Right. Because they're going to be saying and doing the same things that they were two to three years before and expect that same type of coddling behavior on our part to be able to say, no, it's going to be okay. Um, you know, it's like you really want to work with people that are willing to do the work to get to where they need to be so that they can go out and they can help other people as well. Yeah. Because I I know that you, you were probably a sponsor. And I know that my son went through this experience. I mean, he did everything that he could being of service. But at some points, it was such a difficult process for him in his life that it was dragging him down because some refuse to do the work. Mm -hmm. And, and I have to be honest in telling other parents and family members that this is not an easy road. Yeah. You know, it'd be great if we could all go to sleep one night and we wake up the next day and and miraculously something where, you know, where something divine would happen, not saying that it doesn't happen, but the chances for 99% of us is that it's not going to. Right. So my expectation shifted to think that I, I had to stop keeping score and had to stop being a bean counter when it came to how many times I had hurt feelings and how many times I felt sorry for myself. Um, and that's really what the biggest change that, that, that I had to make. It had, well, I had to make a decision to stop doing that. Right. Because I know that you as a counselor and working on the front lines, you uh, you don't, you know, I mean, you're, you're not an eye roller, but you know what I'm saying? You, you get that. Oh my gosh, we're going to go through this again. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's, but again, that was based on my expectations for wanting you to feel a certain way about what I was saying, as opposed to actually sitting there and actually having a positive set of communication uh, criteria to be able to work through something. Right. Um, and I, and I think that that is something that is really, really important for all of us to understand as parents is that um, the longer that we hold ourselves back um, the more damage it's going to happen inside of our families and the more difficult it becomes to put your family back together again. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, and I, I'd like to hear, what you would recommend with this too i mean i think cuz you know we have these conversations and and i can't help but go to like so what do they do <laughs> like what would i tell a parent to do in this situation and you know i think i think the the simplest thing i've ever said to anybody and that's that's worked with me is just to acknowledge when you have an unmet expectation instead of, you know, it being, you know, oh, well, because here's the thing, and, and I'll speak for myself, and I'm also speaking for some other people that I've worked with, but, um and, you know, I, I have had experience with this is is people will get all, you know, upset because someone in their life, whether it's, you know, their child or any family member or just even someone like you said, um, like if you're in a mentoring role with somebody and they're not doing what you think they need to be doing um, and and, you know, you get upset with them and and angry and frustrated and it's affecting your sanity um, and peace of mind is to stop and just say, oh you know, I had expectations of them that they're not meeting. And I think just acknowledging that can make a huge difference instead of it being, because yes, I mean, do you want the best for these people in your life? Absolutely. But who am I to say what that is? You know, yes, someone may come to me and they may ask for my help and they may say, you know, I'm in this situation and I know you've been in this situation before and what did you do? And you can tell them what you did and, and, you know, to walk away expecting that person to do exactly what you, what you told them to do is kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, because everybody has their own path and everybody does things, you know, in a way that works well for them. And just because someone came to me and asked me for, you know, my opinion on something doesn't mean they have to take my advice, but I really used to feel that way. And I really used to be bent out of shape constantly Because people would come to me and ask my opinion or my advice and I would give it to them and then they would go and do exactly what they wanted to do anyway until it occurred to me that it wasn't so much about like, like, yes, I did want the best for them, but if that was truly my intent, then why was I so upset, you know, and then I could step back and go, oh, because I had an expectation that went unmet and, and then just move on from there you know i think for us to expect ourselves to never have expectations or to lower our expectations of people um is is ridiculous and i think that that's you know i just don't think that that's um plausible for everybody i don't yeah. I, I don't think it's plausible for anybody but i don't know there may be people out there who can do that but but yeah i mean that's that's what i would definitely how I would counsel someone in a situation like that. I would just say, Oh, so you had an expectation and that's okay. (laughs) You know, but just know that that's what this is. And I think, I think it really can be that simple. I don't think that we need to tack on all of this guilt and shame about, you know, why you should or shouldn't have them or, you know, that, you know, you've set yourself up to be resentful and, you know, all of that crap. Like, I don't, I don't think that's necessary. Um, I think it's just important to know, when you have an expectation of a situation and when it's unmet that you're unhappy about it. So, so that, you know, that's a lot of what I was thinking and, and, you know, I would definitely want to hear from you. Like, what would you tell a parent, um, you know, walking into their first meeting with a counselor about their kid when it came to their expectations?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I use an, I use one analogy, um, because it works and it, and it, and it creates an open dialogue with, families and parent groups when I speak with them. And the analogy that I use is, is basically think of our lives and our personal belief systems and what we've lived through as if we're kind of walking through life with a basket. And because Easter is close now, it it just kind of, kind of goes together. But it, 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 I, I talk about how we walk through life and we pick up the eggs that we'd like based on whatever color it is, uh, shape or whatever. We put them in our basket and I asked them to imagine that each one of those eggs is a belief, uh, in terms of how and what they might expect to happen in their lives. And especially with respect to others, but you, you always have to balance your personal expectations and belief system with what other people do. Uh-huh. And If you give your children their own basket and your spouse has hers and or his uh, and other people in life that you meet that are important to you, we all have our own baskets. And we're all packing these eggs in. And over time, some of those eggs are not going to be relevant to you anymore. But you have a really difficult time taking them out of your basket and getting rid of them because at one time in your life, it was important to you. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's that inflexibility. Not only does your basket get unruly and too heavy to carry, um, but you're not looking at your own personal inventory and like saying, like you were saying a minute ago, if if somebody causes some dissonance in your life because they don't meet your expectation, it doesn't have anything to do with them. Right. It has everything to do with what you're thinking. And so I, I I ask people and I challenge uh, parents, especially to go through and, 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 and get rid of some of those rotten eggs
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. uh, that, because you, you can't hang on to everything. You just can't, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have to make room for new things in your life. And addiction is a huge thing to make room for. Yeah. And because as we've talked before, it affects us on so many different levels, our ability to, you know, I mean, there, I think a lot of parents relate to the feeling of not wanting to get up in the morning. Right Not wanting to go to work, not 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 even wanting to be happy mm-hmm. because we're so hopeless that we just don't we don't want to be disappointed by our own sense of happiness for uh, maybe your favorite team wins a ball game, you're kind of sitting there, yeah, but it doesn't really matter, you know because I'm hopeless, and I can't get my kid to do this or I can't get to do that. Uh, And the other thing that that the group that we're working with right now that I think is important to realize, Jacqueline, is is that we're told as parents, because we're talking about kids starting to use when they're adolescents. Mm -hmm. And if they're starting to use, uh, I mean, my son was like smoking pot when he was in middle school. So he was like, you know, 11 years old, 12 years old, um, is that they get stuck you know, in terms of their maturity and and their ability to handle things emotionally at a point of time when they really start using too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we're starting with our kids and well, now they're 18, 19, 20 on our journey. And we're thinking, well, they're still thinking like a 16 year old. Right. And we use that kind of belief to think that it's going to temper our inability to be able to deal with our expectations for our child's life. But although it's true, it still creates that kind of a a false belief system that is not really working on what you're going to be doing in your relationship to move forward. Uh You know, they obviously need the treatment and they need help to move along their continuum so they can kind of catch up. You know, my son the other day told me the other day, he goes, he just, he he doesn't remember being a teenager. Uh He has no recollection of it. Um, I mean, he does remember getting high and he remembers doing some things that were antisocial or whatever, or maybe being high at a family reunion or whatever. But that was really the essence of what his primary recollections were. And my belief system was not based on that at all. So obviously we're starting from very different collections of eggs in our baskets and, you know, we're not going to take them out and throw throw them at each other. We're, we're going to protect our basket at all costs. And mm. uh, as our children start to improve in treatment and start to let some of those eggs go, and we don't as parents and family, um, we create our own sense of disappointment. Right. Yeah. And I was just talking with a parent the other day, and I just said, I mean, you, you have to understand that if you're lucky enough to get six hours of sleep, you're going to be awake for a thousand minutes a day. Mm -hmm. basically, right? If you allow yourself to be playing the positive negative game with your thoughts, uh, and this is just my own personal calculation. Uh, I could have 10 really fearful or negative thoughts in a minute about my situation and my son's likelihood that he was going to either overdose or was not going to have a future. And within that context even with help and working and getting things done by the end of three years even if i was only doing it once every five minutes because of the amount of thinking and negative thoughts that you have in the beginning within three years time i figured that i probably had at least a million negative thoughts and it's difficult for you if you don't put some positive in there and something to work on to get yourself in a better position to understand you know, one, you don't have to become an addiction or a, 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 a expert on addiction, but you need to know how it affects your life. Right. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we're never going to be, um, you know, writing thesis and, and, and reading somebody else's thesis and doing an antithetical paper that's going to be peer reviewed later and on and on and on. You know, my point has always been Right, why don't you write me a paper and do research that I can actually take home and read to my family in the living room and have some effect? Right. Because I don't need I don't need the superiority of your theory to already have had a conversation with me and and, and create a judgment with me. It's almost like I think that some of the things that I read, um, and as you know me, I'm reading surveys and studies every day. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like they've already had a conversation and read my mind before I've even had an opportunity to have a conversation or even had an opportunity to read their work. Um, and I, and I, and I found that, I find that extremely condescending, uh, to parents and families, Mm -hmm. because if we don't accept that theory as supreme, then we become flawed and we become enablers and we become weak in terms of somebody else's theory my perspective is give me something that I can take home and use in my living room. You know, if if I have to go through and and decode and decipher and then figure out, I mean, it's my nature to figure out and follow a stream of thought based on their citations to find out how they came to a conclusion because they're always citing somebody else's work. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I I just, you know, was looking at a a study the other day and I I made contact with uh, an author um, and a researcher that they they published something in 1998 and they're still talking about it. I'm not saying that it's not applicable. Right. But we're talking about 18 years ago. Yep. And I'm thinking, well, I if I if I were still in the middle of the of, of that you know, pairing with my son and fighting and, you know, dropping 15,000, 18,000 here and there. I mean, um, you know, to hear something that's being quoted from 1998, when we know that, that 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 statistically outcomes haven't changed for success for treatment in the last 25 years. Right. How am I supposed to, as a parent, take that and have any relevance in my family and in my life? Yep. But stop reading our minds is one thing, I think. And, and for parents, stop having conversations in your mind with your 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 child, your addict, with your other children, uh, with other families without having had the conversation. Right. Because it it really put me in a bad place a lot of times because I just have a penchant for wanting to research. Um, but it really became incumbent upon me, I think, to try to figure out a way to break that information down and say, this is usable. This is not right. Yeah. Yep. And we all have to make those personal decisions for ourselves. You know, what's going to work, um, and being understanding, um, you know, unconditional love and, and, and trying to live up to that lofty expectation as a parent, because that's what we're taught here in the States, um, is. is difficult to imagine in terms of how we can do it on a daily basis when our our children are lying to us um, and doing things that we don't really agree with or, you know, condone. Um, But you have to think about it in terms of like what it's doing to everybody in your family, not just the addict. Right. And we still have that addict-centric view of treatment. Yep. Where everybody's on the peripheral you know, we're, we're kind of like a, it's OK for us to be collateral damage
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's not, um, you know, and if, and if we don't advocate for ourselves and 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 find good counselors that are willing to listen instead of judge, um, then we're going to have another 25 years where outcomes are not going to change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's probably my biggest fear. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I go to bed at night thinking. I don't want one more parent to feel marginalized today, but I know it's already happened. Mm -hmm. So what are Jacqueline and I going to do to make that become a reality in terms of like giving them the tools and the ideas and things where they can push back when it's healthy. Yeah. Yep. So that's kind of a little bit of how I talk. Um, And and, and every parent meeting is (laughs) different. You know, I mean, you know, we both heard that term burning desire Mm-hmm. uh yeah you know a, you know a parent can can literally tip a meeting over because if their emotions are so strong, they can take parents back to where they were at may they may not be feeling it when they walk in, but they're feeling it when they leave, yep, and so that that part of that sharing process and growth and everything else is something that is just hard to predict, but we 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 really just can't have these conversations in our mind without having had them, because it's just, uh, it's a very negative place to be.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, because I, I more often than not, I was always con- convincing myself that something bad was going to happen again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think that's what everybody does. I think <laughs> definitely.
1: And then the other thing too, is, is that, you know, we're, you know, the, the self-help industry and things from the sixties, it's all been about the individual, And there's a, there's a sense of conflict because you can't be an individual when you have your child acting out and, and, and using drugs in a a way that's destroying not only their lives, but the, the, the lives of the family members around them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so we, you know, we, we, we get in a dissonant state with respect to thinking about how important our lives are, as opposed to thinking about how important our lives are together. But there again, I, I, you know, I, I had to learn the hard way that no matter what I did, regardless of what my son did, even if he used drugs or not, he was going to have pieces of our family value system and belief system as a part of his life. But he was going to go out and make decisions on his own. Yeah. Based on his own experiences and his own relationships and things and not be a carbon copy. Yeah. And I think that that sense of always wanting to have that carbon copy is it's one, it's one, it's impossible. It's not a, it's not a probable outcome to happen. And secondly, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yep. You know, and, and if, and if your concept of, of, of sobriety is, is 100% abstinence, um, you might think you're going to probably be disappointed.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: I think that that's where that, that adaptability and flexibility we talked about before. I mean, is it really okay? I mean, except for the fact that you and I have had to go to funerals and things where we've had kids, especially with respect to opiates, um, where they haven't used for uh, six months, nine months to a year. And then they, they, they have an impulse, they go out, um, you know, uh, they use some heroin and they die, Mm-hmm. um, from a statistical standpoint, it's not that often, but one is too many, as we've said before. Yeah. Um, you know, so I I think that that part of it, you know, affects our ability to be able to process our own expectations. Um, because I I just don't I just would would really caution parents and families to not keep score. Yeah because when you're worried about what other people are doing based on what you're doing, you're not thinking about what you're working on. Yep. And it's not, that's not, that's not a new idea. It's just the way that life is.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, situations like this definitely, um, kind of force us to hone those skills a little bit and make them a little bit more, um, of a priority I guess you know because it's it's real easy to talk about not competing and not looking at other people and you know measuring yourself up against what they look like on the outside I mean that's I can't tell you how many I think especially with social media today but you know I you know I'll, I'll get sucked into it I'll see someone on Facebook and think, Oh, they have such a great life. And they're always out doing such exciting, fun things. And then I hang out with them in person and they're miserable, miserable. I mean, just not definitely not what they look like on the outside. And it's always such a good lesson to me not to compare my life with, you know, what I think I know of other people's cause you just never know what people are going through. But, um, I, I think it's a whole other ball game to actually put those things into practice. Because you d- really do have to go from your thoughts just being something going on in the background to really paying attention to what you're thinking about, and um, and sometimes you know stopping yourself mid thought, or turning a thought around, or replacing it with something else. You know those were all um, some some things I I've learned along the way that were like as easy as they may sound can be really difficult if you know a a way of thinking especially competition and comparison because it's so encouraged by society um can just become so habitual so so I think this is a really good place for us to land because we are actually over time um and I think you know I think we you definitely gave a lot of great suggestions for people who are in that place and um you know maybe dealing with that loss of expectations and and kind of where to go and i you know I agree with you um that my hope for what we can offer people is a way through that land that uh minefield um unscathed <laughs> you know or as unscathed as possible because it is it's it's a tricky tricky place to be, and I think it requires. Some real delicate understanding and um handling you know of people and and what's going on in their lives, so yeah
1: and any, and and that and, that, and, that, and that's what, you know that process of introspection is difficult for anybody, yeah, and you know because really you're being asked to do things uh, that you may not have expected yourself to be asked to do right. Uh, and as you you, you 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 broaden that scope in terms of it being in every facet of our lives, um, it becomes so acute, though, when we do think that our child might die. Yes. And I think that that's the one thing that uh, treatment experts, I, I really do give them a lot of props for putting themselves on the line in between. Right. Yeah. Um, because it, it's difficult not to think that. Um, you know, like I say, the probability is very low, but it's still a possibility. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so when we get in and we, and we get in and maybe we're lucky enough to find a really good support group and we hear that recovery equals life, um, we, 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 we buy into it, but we also have to kind of weigh that with the reality of what recovery really means. Recovery means work. Mm -hmm. It means putting yourself out there in a way that you have to have some, vulnerability to what's affecting you in your life to be able to make the changes that you need to Mm -hmm. Because if you have no humility and, 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 and again, these are the people that are are the most difficult for me to deal with uh, on both sides of the fence, both on the expertise side and, and, and life side, you know, with other, with other families and parents and whatnot. um, If they're not humble enough to be able to accept the fact that they're human and to have these emotions, there's really nothing to talk about because they're just going to, they're just going to tell you that this is how I did it. And if it doesn't work for you, uh, they make you feel like you're a less man instead of them being empathetic and understanding that this is just part of what we're going to share.
0: Um,
1: you know, addiction doesn't have any boundaries and neither should our ability to be able to look and attract new information, new directions, and trying some things that may not work, but are not going to be a complete mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, if our expectations hold us back to the point where we're not willing to make a mistake, you've already failed. You know, and I and I and I it, it's a really difficult fine line again to walk you, you on the treatment side where you were working with, you know, young kids that. Uh, we're being told at 16 that they could never have a beer for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you know, at 16 years old, they're thinking somebody that's 30 is old, right? You know, and you're like, well, um, if that's the model that you're using and abstinence is a way to get their attention, then it needs to move to another level. It needs to be flexible and adaptable enough to allow life to continue to move forward. Again, not saying, I mean, there are some people that can never use, Uh, any type of drug or alcohol again. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also know of a lot of people that have been able to push through that. And because of their change in thoughts and their belief systems, um, it's not about a probability theory for them. It's about living their life in a way that they're happy and feeling feeling balanced. Right. And for a parent to think that they're going to tell their 16-year-old that they never can have a glass of wine with dinner when they're 35 years old and have their own family... Uh, that's an unrealistic expectation, right? Yeah. You know, uh, but that's what they're getting in terms of going to group meetings and support groups. Um, and, and, and I find that distasteful. And we've talked about that before about how they make our kids and young other people in recovery feel bad about themselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: for wanting to have what other people would, you know, express or basically describe as just a normal and happy life. Right. Yeah. So anyway, not to beat that dead horse again, but uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, like I say, I know know we're a little bit over on time. So, um, but this is really a a really, really important subject and we'll be writing a lot more. We're gonna have uh, some uh, production uh, concept meetings here shortly between you and I, Jacqueline, and uh, getting some other input from other people that are out in the marketplace uh, to continue to expand on this thinking Uh, Because it's such an integral part of what is going to be needed uh, to help families to get their lives back together again and and get their feet underneath them. So I appreciate the opportunity for everybody out there listening today. Yes. And um, we'll keep thinking about all this stuff.
0: Yes, definitely. And tune in next week. We will be here at 630 Eastern next Sunday evening. What is that? The... The thirteenth.
1: Yeah, I think that 12th. might be daylight saving. Is it? Is it move? Is it move forward or back? I forget which one, when when it is, but uh, we do have daylight savings coming um, so, up on its spring so.
0: forward. Spring forward. Okay. So yeah, we will be three hours. Well, I mean, the Pacific time will still be the same, but Arizona, we will go from being three hours behind you or ahead of you uh, i'm sorry 2 hours ahead of you to 3 hours ahead of you so that's three hours fun. yeah right um so yes next sunday the 13th we will be live 6:30 p.m. eastern time 3:30 p.m. pacific time and what we had talked about a topic for next week didn't we
1: I know we have, but it's escaping me right now, Jacqueline. Uh, me too.
0: <laughs> I got lost
1: in the subject today. So. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but we'll post something on Facebook about it. And, um, or you guys can just be surprised. You never know. Right. That could be a really, really fun thing. So if you need to contact us, we are Jacqueline at the Family or Frank at the Family And you can also find us on the World Wide Web at www.thefamilyrecoveryproject.com. Thanks for tuning in today, and we will talk to you next week. If you have questions or comments, you can also check us out on Facebook. um, If you just search The Family Recovery Project, we are there, and we uh, respond pretty quickly to stuff that gets posted on that page or messages. So feel free to reach out to us there. Frank, I will talk to you soon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.